Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the current administration. We address the existential threats to America. Joining me today, Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Well, we got some emails. Dana or Dana mm-hmm. would love to hear Bill's opinion on these education and sanity TCU <laughs> microaggression workshop mm-hmm. target target co-workers with politically incorrect views. Three professors suspended over Halloween costumes worn in 2014. Georgetown Student Bar Association asks students to list pronouns in solidarity with transgender peers. Mm-hmm. New York City School pushes students to stop saying mom, dad, and parents. <laughs> Just sheer madness. Mm-hmm. Six, commence- six commencements at Columbia. Commencement for gay lesbian, a commencement for people of color, a commencement for people of, I don't know, all identity politics, madness. Bottom line, want my point on this? Don't mm-hmm. bother. Don't spend the money. Don't send them to higher ed. Just take a training course, whatever they're interested in, go online and just to hell with the whole higher education establishment, which is corrupt. So just in case anyone's wondering, uh, yeah, that came from Dana Massey. It's part of the Daily Wire. Uh, they do an education insanity top 10 stories of the week. And we'll put a link to this one up on the Facebook page and on the Twitter um, uh, page as well. So if you follow Bill on Twitter and on Facebook, we'll post this uh, today. Uh, we also have an e- great email from uh, Judge David Duggan. Would you yes. read that? Would you read that to me, please? Absolutely. So it says, uh, Bill and Claude, I have just completed listening to your most recent podcast with Gordon Chang. And again, if anybody want to listen back to that, just go to the BillBennettShow.com. Subscribe. So every time there's a new show, you'll get a notification on your phone or device. You'll be able to listen to the new uh, episodes. But anyway, he, he says, uh, what I heard was, in certain respects, stunning. I heard things in that broadcast that I have not heard anywhere else. And those things are alarming. You refer to Gordon Chang as our Paul Revere uh, when it comes to China. He is, but so are you. Please keep us informed because I'm under the impression that most American heads are buried in the sand on so many fronts. Chang is great. Alerted us to China. Mm-hmm. I, I'll give you a preview. I did a uh, long session of Wise Guys, you know, that panel show. Mm-hmm. I taped it on Monday. It'll appear on Sunday night on the Fox News channel. And Gordon was on talking about China. We were talking about the border. We were talking about everything. Conrad Black was on. Dr. McCary was on. China dominated the discussion. So like Judge Duggan. Real trouble at the border. Um, Numbers keep getting worse and worse. You now have local officials, Democrat officials complaining. Democrats still not admitting there's a serious problem. Um, This could really explode on Biden, especially with Democrat congressmen in the area and local government officials, mayors and so on. It's a bad situation. Meanwhile, looks like they're gearing up for a big tax bill, the Democrats. This is big government. We're in big government now. And um, they're going to have a big tax bill. Also discussion of filibuster. And um, we'll see what happens there. I don't think we're going to see the end of the filibuster. We may see some qualification of it, but I don't think we'll see the end of it. I think Manchin will probably hold firm. I think Kristen Sinema from Arizona will probably hold firm. They have to vote to get rid of the filibuster. And they have to get a 60 majority to change the Senate rule, as I understand it. And that's going to be hard to get to. But we will wait and see. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Brian Kennedy, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Where to begin? Should we begin at the border? Why not? Wait, wait. A little comfort food first. Football season started for you in California, correct? 
Well, yeah, in California right now, the uh, the kids are back in school. And so the uh, the governor and the athletic leagues decided to let, in their wisdom, the kids play football. And that is uh, one piece of normalcy that we, we here in California can enjoy amidst all the weirdness that's going on. So you have, uh, I think everybody who listens to the show knows that you have probably the best high school football team in the country, right? When I yes. say you, I know your association yes. is, is fragile, tenuous. Uh, but, no, it's, uh, well, I went to St. John Bosco High School. It's a great school here in Southern California. I got into a, a strong difference with them last year over the whole Black Lives Matter business and having high schools and any institution really align themselves with that very evil movement. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, uh, football is back here in Southern California. Bosco, which is one of the top teams in the country, played another of the top teams in the country, Sierra Canyon, uh, and beat them on Friday night. But I, uh, I was going to go to the game, but I just cannot, yeah. for the life of me, sit outside wearing a mask on. And uh, so I watched, I, I, watched, I, I watched it at home, and it was just fine. And that's the rule, huh? Okay. That's the, that's a rule like it is in college and everywhere else. But uh, one hope one hopes we get get all that behind us one of these days. All right, let's go to the border. Tell me what you think. What are the right words to use? According well, to the administration, I, there's no crisis. There's no emergency. There's no problem. Right. No major problem. Yeah, no major problem. And also, for a country that has a, a belief in laws and law and order. We have a legal method for immigrating into the country, and it's not crossing the border randomly the way they are. And so that, that I think, is a, an enormous problem for the Biden administration, just as people observe this. You know, the Biden administration said they were going to be, I don't know, more humane when it came to immigration. And it's funny how, how information spreads across the globe. And so that information that we're going to be more humane was code for, please come in across our southern border yeah. so that people from Iran and Yemen and <laughs> European countries are coming across our southern border along with all the people from South America and Central America, because they think they have a way into the largest welfare state in the whole wide world. It does make some sense for them. Uh, yes, it does make perfect I sense mean, for, for them. For, for them. I mean, they're, they're odds. You know, a crappy job in America with benefits is better than most of the world. The richest country in the world says, we'll let you in. They're going to go. Yeah. But what uh, are the limits? What are the limits? Yeah, I, I, look, I, look I, it seems to me obvious that, you know, that he said, come. I mean, all you got to do is go back to those debates, Democrat debates. He said, hey, open it up, you know, benefits, sure, come on in. So it's no surprise they're wearing these T-shirts that say Biden. Right, right. I mean, the problem, of course, uh, it's obvious to see why someone would want to come in. But at the end of the day, we're led to believe that Joe Biden got 80 million plus votes and that he was unbelievably popular. And among his issues was the border. And I, for the life of me, cannot believe that all of Joe Biden's voters, even the ones he got legitimately, want him to open up the border to all these people from around the world. Number one, all policy, all public policy, which is what you talk about here on your show much of the time, is designed to make you better off, you, the American people, better off than you were before. No one engages in a public policy believing they're going to be worse off than they were before. Now, this policy of opening our borders is designed to make us less wealthy, seems to me, less healthy. These people are coming across 
you know, many of them with COVID, with other diseases, less safe and less united as a people. Now, why is the Biden administration doing this? And I think in part because, you know, the people running his administration believe that American prosperity is immoral and unjust. Oh. And, and that's part, that really is part of our problem here. We, that we don't deserve what we have. And so it's right for them to take it. The example that I think of when you say it's not good for us is these people come in and spread around the country, but you can see the point you're making immediately. I've been watching these mayors of these border towns, but most of them Democrats, you know, saying, right. oh man, it's, it's all different now. People hear dogs bark in the middle of the night. People walk around in their, you know, in their driveway, in their gardens, um, nervousness, you know, more, more car theft, more trash. So you, you can see the immediate impact. Now they're talking about three, four, five thousand people going to Dallas, staying in the convention center there. That doesn't sound to me like a good idea. I mean, maybe they feel this is necessary, but kind of reminds me of that New Orleans debacle years ago, you remember? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly that. But it, it, it does seem to show the hypocrisy of their entire, and I hate this phrase, their narrative, this whole letting this many people across. And to your point, I think, if COVID is this serious, why would we be letting people in without testing them, oh, yeah. without masks, without all this? We're yeah. letting them in. And if COVID is the most serious thing, why let more people in? Why let a single other person in, let alone an unchecked amount of people across our border? Plus four, uh, plus four, uh, four people we know so far on the terrorist watch list. Correct. And we're always told these are just fine people. And that when Donald Trump said that they were rapists and murderers, he was besmirching all all immigrants. Well, Donald Trump didn't mean at the time all immigrants to this country, not even all illegal immigrants. But we do know for a fact people coming across that trek from Latin America, Mexico, what have you, into the United States. We do know that people get murdered in that process. Now, that's not people from the United States going down and murdering them as they come across. That is part of their caravans, murder each other. We know for a fact that women and children are raped and abused during this migrant trek. And they're being raped and abused by these migrants that are traveling with them. And so to suggest that this is this is the humane thing to do to just encourage large numbers of people to just come to the United States this way seems to me very, very irresponsible. If you wanted to even do what he is proposing by letting more immigrants into the country, you'd find some legal way of doing that. And you would signal to the people around the world, by the way, that we're going to have a more wide open legal system to do this. You don't need to come illegally. You can come legally. But of course, they don't want that, do they? No, you're also enriching the cartels and strengthening their hand and their muscle. And you know, I had sought in the last administration to influence the designation, hoping for the designation of the cartels as uh, international terrorist organizations. Didn't succeed in that. May or may not have been a wise move, but uh, they're profiting enormously. Uh, And of course, they're using these caravans to exploit the people and to bring in a lot more of their poison, fentanyl, other stuff. We know that as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant move to get them designated or, or to attempt to get them to be designated as, as a, a terrorist organization or transnational criminal organization. Uh, you know, any of those designations would trigger a different approach to what is going on here on the border. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and I do think, though, I mean, for your listeners, one thing they have to appreciate is I think some of this is designed to demoralize them, to disparate them, and to make them believe they are no longer in control of their country. We've gone through really? the last, well, we've gone through the last three or four months, and it has very much been, in some ways, a kind of story about who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Joe Biden one? Are you going to believe Donald Trump one? Are you going to believe the media? Are you going to believe these election officials? You know, and Americans have been pulled, you know, to and fro in all of that. And a lot of people in, you know, on the, we'll just call it the political right more broadly, have been demoralized by what they see as election fraud and the way they've been treated by the media as, you know, somehow illegitimate themselves for even questioning this. The U.S. Capitol is surrounded by razor wire as yeah. to suggest that the people in the country are somehow violent and prone to revolution. And that all that is designed to demoralize the American people. And when you throw onto that an opening of the border, which will lead to both higher taxes, less safe you know, cities, less healthy communities, one has to believe that that is partly to demoralize the American people and to make them believe that their interests, their well-being are secondary to something else. Just thinking out loud, demoralize or disable them. I mean, not disable them from action, disable them from reaction, disable them from from outrage. You, I mean, you, you, do you still believe Donald Trump won the election? Yes, I do too. I, um, I, 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 I do. And when I say demoralize, what I mean is uh, people have lived through, okay, we can steal the election, whether this is true or not. I mean, I believe it's true, but whether it's true or not, if the American, if a substantial number of the American people believe the election was stolen, and we know statistically and just in polling that they do, if you combine that with the idea that we're going to essentially open the border and we're going to let in millions of new people illegally, and we're going to take a lot of the ones who are here illegally and turn them into citizens and And we will secure for ourselves, the American left, we will secure for ourselves a political majority into the indefinite future. And your interests no longer matter. That is designed on purpose to demoralize. They want want people to think that resistance, as it were, is futile. And they just must accommodate themselves to this new order. I don't understand that. I I guess I don't understand it. Why not Occam's razor? They don't want to demoralize. They want you to vote for them. They want you to think they're right. And they, the numbers that come in will be mostly Democrat voters once they get registered. And yeah. so they can keep their majority. And then it's getting demoralized or surrender. Just say it's inevitable. They stole the election. They'll steal some more. It's permanent Democrat, liberal Democrat, big government rule. And uh, I mean, I, yeah, the effect will be to demoralize, but also to get people to just uh, surrender and say the hell with the fight. Are we saying the same thing? I, you know, I think we are saying the same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think that, that they wanted to make it seem inevitable that they're going to be the ones in power. Let's let's shift to, to Washington for a second. If you have other thoughts on this, it's fine. But while this is playing out and they're in total denial about what's happening at the border, uh, you have these massive other bills coming along. One of them is H.R. 1, which is, has to do with making permanent a lot of these election abuses uh, and outrages. But others are, you know, infrastructure and other things. We're now seeing prospect of huge government, huge government. I mean, we've just had 1.9 trillion. We're going to see more tax increases, et cetera. And this is, this is no surprise, right? This is what liberal Democrats do. Huge government, big taxes. And 
and these taxes are going to hit everybody. Why is it that people don't understand when when it says, oh, we're not going to raise anybody's taxes who makes less than 400000 that 400000 can be gross revenue receipts for small business, A, which means, you know, they don't really make that much money to take home. And B, most people work for people who make $400,000. You know, I mean, it's going to be passed on. Why don't people understand this? It's going to hurt. They're going to get taxed. Yeah. You're going to have big government, people crossing the border, more intrusive in your life, and you're going to pay more. I well, said without a lot being there, re- break yeah, it down. But no, but without being redundant, I would say they do understand that, which okay. is why I, which is why I think and have argued that I believe Donald Trump won this election and that it was something of a realigning election. Now, without getting into that part of it, I believe the American people rejected the notion that we ought to raise taxes and have this kind of government. So that when, when we question, you know, why, you know, why, how can the people be for this? They're not for this. They don't understand this. And that's not what they voted for because we've lived through this. We've lived through high taxation. We've lived through big government and it's not brought us the kind of wealth and prosperity that we wanted. Yeah. It's been it's been opening the economy, limiting the size of government, controlling the regulatory structure that has led to our, our wealth and prosperity. And so the Democrats are playing a very dangerous game in some ways, because not only are they trying to raise taxes and re-regulate the economy, but they're going to do that while printing a lot more money. And the potential for the destruction of the American dollar and the American economic system seems to me profound. We've never had this kind of set of economic policies in the middle of an economic crisis. I mean, even if people are employed, even if people are spending money, we are in a crisis when we are printing, you know, 1.9 trillion will be this spending bill. Some will be raised by taxes. Some will be raised by just monetizing the debt. And then they're talking about another $2 trillion after that. So $1.9 trillion, $2 trillion, and on top of that, wild taxation. We're in pretty uncharted waters when it comes to our economic policy. And the Democrats could really destroy this, and I think the American people are not in favor of it. What about another hypothesis here? Bill, you and Brian are good guys. You're smart guys. you read too many books. It's not about that. This is about hating Trump. Just if Trump did it, we're going to do the opposite. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no policy here aimed at uh, discouraging people or uh, getting them to resignation or surrender or give up. If Trump did it, it was wrong. I mean, there is a lot of that, you know, that you hear it from the podium in the White House. Well, this is this is not what. Donald Trump did. It's like it's like lo- a lover, you know. I, I I know this couple who separated, and the mother, you know, forced the separation and explained to the two children, "I know this is painful to you, and I'm very sorry, but I hate your father more than I love you." I mean, it, it is is the Trump the Trump hatred so great that it's governing a lot of what's going on. It's not not policy. It's hatred. It's bile. Yeah, may, may, I think there's a lot. I think there's some of that, but uh, you know. One wonders whether or not the Democrats don't have something else going on here. Because if if you were the Democrats today and you wanted people to forget about Donald Trump, I think you just get life back to normal as quickly as humanly possible, right? Get it back to at least to the world of Barack Obama, which, you know, one would think was pretty normal, right? You don't even need to go back to something from the Trump era, but just go back to, to Barack Obama and let's get people back in school. Let's get people back to work. And over time, people will just forget about Donald Trump. We'll show them the benefits of a, of a, 
economy run by the Democrats. We're not going to be crazy. I mean, in, in retrospect, Barack Obama doesn't seem so crazy. I mean, he was <laughs> based on, you know, so many policies, but the kind of things they're proposing, it's like this is their last chance to put in place policies that, of course, are not going to last because they're not going to work. And it does suggest to me that they're not that competent. You look at the podium in the Biden administration, Jen Psaki, she does, she seems like a, a C or D list player, as do many of these spokesmen for these agencies. They can't really explain what's going on. And so their, their sort of reflexive uh, tone is, well, it's not Trump or Trump broke it and we're trying to fix it. Yeah, that may fly for a, a week or two, but it doesn't fly forever and people don't quite buy it. Things were going pretty well under Donald Trump. All right, well, that's and, an encouraging sound you just made. I mean, that's encouraging words. That is, it's not going to work. You're not giving up. I mean, I know no. you won't give up anyway, but you're not no. giving up on America and you're predicting that Americans will not give up. No, it's a you know, one thing I learned from you, Bill, a long time ago, you said this is a big country with a lot of people and they have their own mind and they believe in freedom, and they fight for it. I think that's been one of your overarching themes for many, many years. And I think you're absolutely right, that it's a big country. And as I go around the country, I was just in Arizona yesterday, it is a big country, and people are not going to be told what to do. And yep. they're going to figure out how to live yep. their own lives. And so try as they might, you know, you can have Biden administration officials at the podium trying to sell things. I don't think anybody's watching. And when they do I watch, had, um, I don't think believe it. I had a, a discussion the other day and I was talking to our friend Conrad Black and he was very optimistic. I mean, he he he's, a, as you know, born in England, but lives in Canada, um, a great observer of the American scene. And he said, first of all, he had said there's no way they'll American people will elect Biden, right? I said, oh, they might. Won't be fair, but they might. But now he's saying he'll be a 30% approval in two months. Yes, if he's even, I mean, uh, I, I kind of subscribe to the view of, you know, free Joe Biden. Let that poor man go home to, to Delaware. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree with a single of his policies. Yeah. Uh, but he really just doesn't seem to be prepared to do this, nor nor will I, you know, nor as I've been suggesting, does the Democrat establishment seem to have been prepared to govern the country? They, I think they don't think they were going to win or put it a different way. I think the fraud, I think they think the fraud was going to be exposed and they really hadn't prepared themselves for a Biden administration. Well, is he because real? I, is he real? I mean, uh, is he is he the old Joe, moderate lunch bucket Joe who's being pushed around or is he a lefty now? Or I said the other day, just thought came through my head. We went from the least programmed, you know, pre-programmed president in history. Donald Trump never programmed, never knew what he was going to say. He didn't know what he was going to say when he got to the podium. To the most programmed kind of well, you know, pe People are creatures of habit. He looks to me like an old man who was, you know, wants to have dinner about four thirty and go off to a to an, you know, watch a little TV then go to bed. He doesn't seem like the kind of hard charging Joe Biden we would have had twenty years ago, who wanted to enact a bunch of one could argue more moderate Democrat policies. He does not look like the kind of serious politician that normally gets elected president in American politics. Barack Obama, just to compare him to his, his who he governed with before, Barack Obama had an idea about how America, you know, what America should look like. He came to office with an A-list of people. We didn't agree with them, 
but they were a bunch of A-list Democrat intellectuals, policy types. These were people who were serious political types. And Joe Biden doesn't have those serious political types. One wonders whether their people are the A-listers that are currently in Washington are waiting for a Harris administration. That they're not they're not going to jump into a Biden administration. They're going to wait till till uh, you know Kamala Harris may be president and then take that seriously. This they can't take so seriously. All right, and let's, things are still shaking out. All right, let's shake out some more. What's going to happen? Where's the breaking points? What are the Republicans going to do? Who's going to emerge? What's going to happen the next month or two? I was on TV last night. I said, days of confrontation and consequence are coming. I don't know exactly what I meant. I just, I just, it's my, my you know, my. It my, seemed uh, right. It seemed right. It seems like that is going to happen. What, what's going to happen? You know, what, I what, explode, know. what explodes on Biden? Border explode? Uh, you know, I think the border ex- explodes, but we've had the border explode before. I think there's probably some Democrat who will have an interest in making sure that it doesn't. You know, again, I'm not I'm not suggesting things can't get bad. I think they can get bad. But I also think there are some serious Democrats who are looking at the political horizon and seeing that this isn't working. And the more you alienate the American people, the more the American people are going to push back. And so it's possible they moderate their policies and they try to enact enough things that as it were, fly under the radar, as in government spending, spreading money around to all their Democrat constituencies. You look at some of these bills, there's very little money in there for COVID, but there's a lot for the states. And so if they could put money into the blue states to make sure those are governed, at least with enough money to get by, if they can funnel money into the nonprofits that support the the leftist edifice in American political life, if they can achieve that, they may have over the this last year, I mean, others have observed this, they may have financed through these this, you know, first part of the Biden administration, they may have financed the leftist cause for the next decade. And maybe that was you know, one of their, their chief goals. Yeah. Because, because they don't seem to be able to, they're not pushing towards enacting the kind of things that might actually make the country better off. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, but whether, whether that blows up or not, it's hard to say because so many of these things are hard to understand. And the the media is very much on the side of the Democrats, so they're not going to report it. Is the media shifting a little bit? It doesn't seem that way to me. They just blew up that Washington Post story about, you know, that that unnamed source, you know, who said president called the Georgia official and said, find me, find me votes. Didn't say it. Not true. No, right. uh, I mean, yeah, but maybe uh, maybe there's a few honest journalists here and there. New York Times said, uh, let me interrupt, New York Times said uh, Biden was being really unfair to Trump in regard to the vaccines, you know, and the warp speed. New York Times. Right, right. Well, because you know it's just not true. Wasn't true Uh, before. I mean, no, no, Trump. All I'm saying is is, is the the ice breaking at all on the media. I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I do do think that, look, here's the worry. The totalitarian impulse on the left right now is profound both from big tech, the corporate oligarchs, and their relationship with politicians. The totalitarian impulse is immense. And by totalitarian, I don't mean they're going to knock on your door and arrest you, though they might someday. But the totalitarian impulse to control every aspect of the communication stream is enormous, from 
you know, what you receive on the internet to what you see on TV, what you read in newspapers, that impulse is still there and very problematic. I think if you combine that with the fecklessness of Republicans, you know, that's where we have a problem. American elites seem utterly corrupt in that they're going along with all of this. And politically, I don't see the kind of leadership in Congress that can adequately fight this. I mean, now Mitch McConnell wants to fight with the Democrats. They steal a national election and he couldn't raise a finger. But now, all of a sudden, he wants to fight with Democrats. Why? What changed? And so, would you like to? Who would you like to see majority leader of the Senate be? There are some good men there, as we know. Name a few. Not all, well, Josh Hawley is good. Ted Cruz, uh, I think, is among the most capable people there. Uh, Tom Cotton, even though he really irritated me regarding the you know not fighting uh, election fraud, uh, I still thought I still think he has a lot of very sound opinions. Um, so it's not like we don't have anybody there. Whether 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 they could be the leader or not is a different thing because so many of the members don't seem to me all that good. If the president golfs again with Lindsey Graham, I'm just going to have to wonder. By, by president, meaning President Trump, I'm just going to have to wonder what what the hell do they talk about? Because most most American citizens today, let's call them Republicans or at least people who voted for Trump. Look at Lindsey Graham and everything that he stands for within the Republican establishment and think, why are we fighting for people like this? What is he for? Right. And so one problem with our political class is they really are out of touch with the more populist nationalist strain, majority strain, majority part of our our political uh, discourse today. And they're still playing, it seems to me, the politics of 20 years ago. I'm just curious because I got a fairly strong opinion here. Republicans have a chance to retake the House. Who would you like to see leading the House? Well, I think Republicans can take the House if we have a free and fair election. I do, too. And and I don't know that we will. And I think that really is the task for us. Uh, But let's assume we do have a free and fair election. That is the main task, isn't it? That is the main task. Because I I do think it's true. If we don't fix this, these abuses, that, you know, we, we may not see Republican leadership anywhere, anytime in the near future. Right. That that, that really, I mean, for, for whatever optimism I'm, I may have suggested earlier, if H.R. 1 passes and, and becomes law, there'll be no voter ID. There'll be near universal ballot harvesting. Yeah. And there'll be no real effort to clean up the voter rolls, which means that any any secondary abuses like mail in ballots with names that have not been verified or people who are dead, et cetera, yeah. that that will just happen much to the detriment of, of Republicans. That's serious. That let's pause on that. I don't think that can happen without a change in the filibuster. And I don't think we're gonna have a change in the filibuster. I don't think they can't do HR one through reconciliation, it's not a budget bill. Well, you, but on the other, yes, uh, technically, yes. But those kind of rules don't seem to matter much these days, do they? Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Cause there's so much hedging and trimming. and. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw President Trump on, was it Maria Bartiromo the other night? And was it last night? Whatever day it was. And he was railing against the Supreme Court. Yeah. 
And it's as if he thought the Supreme Court was going to save him. And by the way, they should have saved him. Yes. By save, by save meaning merely enforce the black litter in the law. And they didn't, which means we're not in an era where law is functioning in a normal way, where the Constitution is functioning in a normal way. And the way the left is vilifying both Trump and trying to delegitimize his voters suggests that they'll go to nearly any end in order to solidify their political control on the, on the country. And, and to solidify political control in the country, you would pass H.R. 1 and have these election abuses permanent. Right. Something like that. And I can, I can, I can see that happening. And uh, they don't seem to care about blowing up our political system. Will Donald Trump run again? He may. He may. Should he? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we have some very capable men who may want to run. Name three. I think of, I, I, well, I, I can name one. Uh, Governor DeSantis okay. in Florida. I, I think he's extremely competent. Uh, everybody else has many virtues, some vices. Ted Cruz, for as capable as he is, American politics is funny. You have to seem likable. You have to seem yeah, likable to people. Yeah, he's not likable. He, he, he's, he may not be likable enough, but but a very smart guy. Nonetheless. No, he's very capable. I like him. I admire him. Mean thing that's said about him is it's best not to like Ted at first because it saves time. You know, it's funny, though. I, I've been in settings with the guy on, on a very social, personal level. Yeah, yeah. And I, I find him very, very likable. I do, too. I do, too. It's just that when he gets talking in public, I know it, it becomes tough. No, I know. Uh, I know. And, and some of those earlier names we talked about, Josh Hawley. Seems very seems like a very good guy, but a young guy too. He, he, we may have some time to go there, but the American people are going to look for competency. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who. Ron DeSantis seems very competent. I agree. I think DeSantis is great, and I think he's an odds-on guy. I'll tell you who else impresses the heck out of me. Too early, but I find him almost flawless, and that's uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw from Texas. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. He seems like a phony. I don't like him much. Really? Wow. Yeah. And the reason is, and the reason not a lot is, of phony seals out there. Uh, you know, they're human beings like everybody I know. else. Of course, of course. But you know, why do you, he, why do you think he's phony? Yeah, look, I, I think he's still still very much part of the war on terrorism. He has that war on terrorism kind of mentality, and uh, I, I don't I don't see him as a, an orthodox con- conservative. And he wasn't wow. really a Trump, and he wasn't really a Trump guy or a pocket in the way that that I think the country needs right now. Yeah, not at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I mean, sure. look, I, I I don't know that he's for for the kind of America First foreign policy that Trump was espousing, and I like that policy not because Trump espoused it, but because that that's a more American policy. Why should we be fighting all these wars abroad? Now, if you're Dan Crenshaw and you've made your political reputation on having that as your credential. Well, you're not going to, you, you may not necessarily embrace that, that America first foreign policy. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, um, among the Trump folks, I can tell you by Trump folks, meaning, you know, Crenshaw's not popular at all. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm, I, am I happy with the Trump folks? You know, but by Trump folks, meaning I think there's a core group of people within a new movement really being created. Who are they? Is, they name, name three. I'll do the same thing. No, no, I, no, no. I'm, no, I'm talking about it more in, in the, in the, the sense people. of just, just the people. You, you go around to different groups and talk to them and what have you. And, and I don't, because I, I don't want to mention any, any name of somebody. Okay. Say, well, okay. you know, not, not everybody's going to want to be outspoken about these things, but. 
Because I, I thought you were talking about circle around Trump because I was frankly disappointed, and I believe you were, with a lot of the immediate circle around the president toward the end there. And disappointed uh, in the president, frankly. Yes, no, very, very much so. Very much so, which is why I'm, I'm I'm a bit lukewarm or at least reserved about how to think about President Trump now in the future. Yes, I thought he got I thought he got an extraordinary amount of bad advice there at the end. I thought he should have been fighting very hard regarding the election fraud, and he. I agree. Wasn't. I agree, and I, yeah. I, let me let me clarify right away because I don't want my audience to turn off the podcast. I love the guy, and I love his policies. And I think you did a great job as president. But I just, you know, some mess ups at the end. And I'm not talking mostly about January 6th. Uh, I'm talking about not fighting the election stuff, just complaining about it and Georgia and, and other things. But um, right. And is, I also, yeah, no, look, I, look, I love him, too. And and but he has this funny way about him that you can tell that he he doesn't know how at times to talk to the American people. And he's still learning the business of politics. Yeah. Uh, I, did you watch? I know it's been a few weeks now, but that, C, that CPAC speech. He gave, yeah. Yeah. And, and there was this moment in the CPAC speech where the crowd started to yell, we love you. Yeah. And the most natural thing in the world would have been for him to say, I love you, too. Yeah. And I know you love me because we all love America. Yeah. And let's fight for that together. Yeah. Most politicians, 99% of the politicians, whether they believed it or not, would have said that. Yeah. And he instead said, you know, I asked my advisors when when people would say that during the during the rallies, you know, whether anybody had ever said that for Ronald Reagan. And they all said, no, they hadn't said that. And so he was looking at their love as a marketing metric, as if when they said they loved him, it was remarkable because from a marketing point of view, no other president had ever received that, which meant that there's something he still has to learn about politics. And I say that for a guy I, I thought he I love him. I thought he was a great president and he may be president again. And you realize that we didn't give him enough help. We, the American people. And we took it for granted that he would be able to control the Washington establishment, and he couldn't. And so if there's a lesson to be learned from the Trump presidency is that not only must you elect a man like Donald Trump, you must go to Washington with him. You must have congressmen and senators who believe in what he believes in. You must have an administration that believes in what he believes in. And you need to tell him that in the most transparent way possible in the hopes that he he himself understands it. The most fundamental thing in politics is the friends-enemies distinction. You have friends and you have enemies. Yeah. Your, friends, your friends you help, your enemies you don't. And in the Trump presidency... The president had very few friends. He had a lot of enemies. And if there is a next Trump presidency, that's going to have to change. Brian, you are still chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China, right? Yes, I am. I had a discussion with several people the other day on TV talking about everything. And China was the dominant topic. Gordon Chang was there, so he, you know, he, he led. But I had Marty McCary talking about COVID. I had Lord Black talking about uh, electoral politics and Biden. Uh, I had Tyrus uh, talking about schools and uh, uh, he refused to, you know, I said, what about systemic racism? He said, that's a bunch of crap. But we kept coming back to China. And we got some emails. We started this podcast with an uh, email from a judge who said, what a wake-up call that is. 
This is a big deal, China and their ambitions. You've talked to us often on this podcast about China. Gordon said, I wonder if you have a view on this. Good news, sort of good news, is they have to move quickly. They've only got a few-year window. I don't know if it has to do with population or economy or something. They're a serious threat to us on all fronts, but he said they got to move fairly quickly. Do you know what he's talking about? Well, I, I think it's effective rhetorically to suggest always to move quickly uh, or someone has to move quickly. Right, or so you, don't, you don't agree. You just don't agree. Well, look, no, I, I, I do think uh, the Chinese, when we say quickly, what is quickly? If, if there's you a four year demographics, it, demographics and the economy. China is a very large country. And if things go bad, they go bad quickly. And so they do have some economic challenges. Their economy is a bit of a shell game. They're built on a mountain of debt. And that whole system only works so long as they can keep the con game going, that they're sound financially. And once it's understood by more and more countries and more and more people that their country is not very sound financially, fewer and fewer people will want to invest in it. And so they do have an opportunity now to try to change that. But it becomes a longer discussion of what does it take for China to change itself economically? And that may mean the destruction of the United States. And if that's what Gordon is saying, and I, I, I almost always agree with Gordon Chang on, on these matters, uh, I do heartily agree there that China may, be, may have an interest in the destruction of the United States, or at least our economic system. Yeah. And, and I don't know that Gordon was suggesting this, but it is true that COVID started in China. And it's spread to the United States and it's, it's forced a radical economic change upon us. It's forced enormous spending and borrowing, all of which are harmful to the American financial and economic system. The country that can take the greatest advantage of that is communist China. They're the alternative to us. And so if there is, if there is something for them to do over the next few years, China, it is to further, uh, you know, further harm the United States politically, economically, one could argue socially with, with COVID in order to further us, you know, building a mountain of debt that further undermines people's faith in the long-term credibility of the U.S. dollar. And so th that is our challenge to make sure that we, the United States, are strong economically and therefore militarily and can challenge communist China. If we can't do that, then China will become the preeminent economic and military power on earth. So it is very serious right now. They caused COVID. They were behind, in my judgment, the election fraud that occurred either directly or indirectly. And they will continue to be our main rival. And in their own words, they believe they're at war with us. We don't believe we're at war with them, but they believe they're at war with us. And there are determined people. And President Xi is a ruthless dictator. So we ought to take that as serious as a heart attack. Thank you, Brian Kennedy. Thank you very much. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Mm -hmm.